welcome back to another edition of the Wrestling Highlights of the Week, presented by My Two Cents Podcast, hosted by G2. I am G2. I am here to talk to you about everything that happened in professional wrestling, from Raw, SmackDown, NXT, AEW Dynamite, AEW Rampage, and Impact Wrestling. Now, without further ado, let's start the show. So, we start with Monday Night Raw. Raw will open up with Finn Balor and Damian Priest. You are now two-time Tag Team Champions, they will come out here to be peacocking about being two-time champs and talk a little bit more until Cody Rhodes would come out to the ring. Cody would say that he came out here to speak with the leader of the Judgment Day and mention that Rhea Ripley isn't out here. Cody would make the assumption that Rhea is Finn and Damian Priest's mommy, the way that she's been making deals left and right, and he even talked about how she made deals with the bloodline. Cody would then turn his attention over to Damian Priest and tell him that this thing between them isn't over by a long shot. Priest would tell Cody that Cody is wasting his time. This story that Cody supposedly wants to finish is basically about Cody failing. He talks about Cody failing on the undisputed title and how Cody is failing to try to win back the tag team titles. This would piss Cody off and Cody would tell Priest that he wants to have a fight right now. Priest would tell Cody that he knows that Priest has a match with Jay later in the night, but this match can't happen, but it could happen at Crown Jewel. Cody would accept, but says that why not we give the people right now a preview of what could happen at Crown Jewel. Now, Priest would say he liked his idea, and this would lead to Dominic and Rhea to come out. Jay would sneak attack Dominic, but get took out by Finn. Now you have Cody and Priest brawling in the ring. They were brawl outside the ring. JD McDonough, he would appear and chop block Cody behind the knee. Priest would tell JD to get something, and this would lead to JD going underneath the ring. Pulling out two chairs, J.D. would put Cody's foot in between one chair and place it next to the steel steps. Priest would take the other chair and hit Cody's foot with it. Now you have backstage uh, officials and some referees coming out. And they're a little too late because now the damage has been done. But still, the match has been made official. We would have a crown jewel, Priest versus Cody. And again, in the main event of Monday Night Raw, you have Damian Priest versus Jay Uso. Now, we go from commercial break, and once we come back, we see Cody backstage with Jay. Jay has helped Cody to the medic room. So, this leaves basically Jay man down all by himself as he goes against Damian Priest in the main event. Now, we go from this, and we go to our first match of the night, and it's a tag team match. The New Day going against Alpha Academy with Maxine Dupree and their new wrist recruit, Akira Tozawa in their corner. New Day would win the match by pinfall, when Kofi would hit Trouble in Paradise on Otis, and then Xavier Woods would hit a diving elbow drop on Otis for the win. Fun tag team match to open the show. We'll open up the show after that segment. Uh, Alpha Academy and New Day. New Day knows what they're doing as a tag team. They've been tag teaming, I will say, almost a whole decade now. So, Kofi and Woods, they know what they've been doing. Uh, Otis and Gable, they've been teaming up I say for a consistent year now. And again, they know what they're doing. It was just a great tag team match and to start off Monday Night Raw after that segment. Then when we go backstage, we see the World Heavyweight Champion, Seth Rollins backstage, and then you would see him stopping, and then you would see Rhea. Rhea would try to recruit Seth into joining the Judgment Day because she says that Seth is now dealing with Drew McIntyre and see that Seth could probably need some help. Seth would renounce that deal, even insinuating that Rhea has lost faith in Damian Priest, and that's why she wants Seth to join the Judgment Day, because Damian can't cash in on someone like Seth, because Seth is just too great. 
for someone like Damian. Now, Rhea would tell Seth that he could be the world champion instead of a world champion and insist that Seth could have a reign like Roman Reigns. He can accomplish uh, having the days like Roman. And this would turn Seth. Seth would tell Rhea that he doesn't want to be anything like Roman and that he doesn't need the Judgment Day. Rhea would smile and Rhea would say, that wasn't a no, and then leave. So we have this thing with Rhea Ripley, and this wasn't the only time Rhea Ripley would be trying to make deals to try to recruit someone else to join the Judgment Day, but I'll get to that in a minute. Now, the next match will be the NXT Women's Championship match. We have Becky Lynch, the champion, going against the challenger, Indy Hartwell. Becky would retain her Women's Championship by submission by locking in the disarmor on Indy. So now Becky will be going over to NXT for night one of Halloween Havoc, to defend her title against Lyra Valkyria, and Lyra would be in attendance for this match. So after the match, you saw Becky walk up to Lyra to have their face-off between the two to get everybody set for what they could see or what they will be seeing on Halloween Havoc Night 1. Now, next up, we will have the five-way contract signing for the Women's World Championship. You have Zoe Starks, Shayna Baszler, Nia Jax, and Raquel Rodriguez in the ring with Adam Pearce. Pierce will let the ladies know that he wanted to get their signatures on the contract before he got Rhea Ripley out here. Because whenever Rhea Ripley's out and around the women, uh, chaos usually happens. Now, when he says this, out walks Rhea Ripley. Rhea will come out and she will talk about how this is her women's division, how she is the woman of this division, and how this is all a conspiracy by Adam Pierce. But it doesn't matter because she's still going to be the woman of the division. Uh, Nia would take the microphone and point out that how Rhea is talking all that talk, but she's not in the ring with the rest of them. Nia will say that Rhea wants Nia to squash everybody in the ring so they could just leave her and Rhea. Now she would go to Zoe and tell her that. She would go to Raquel and tell her that. She would go to Zoe and tell her that. Raquel, she will pop Nia in the face. So this would get a brawl started between all four of those ladies. And just like Nia said, Rhea Ripley, she didn't enter the ring. She stood literally on the ramp and watched all the action unfolded. And in the end, Nia Jax was the last one standing in the ring as Nia looked at Rhea Ripley. And that's how this thing ended. So this gets people uh, ready for their match at Crown Jewel. And I'm not certain how people really take this match. I think people see this as a way for, if I'm going to be honest, I think people see this as a way for Rhea to win. I'm not certain if WWE is trying to do something else. I mean, out of everybody's in the match, you have Nia Jax, Zoe Stark, Shayna Baszler, uh, Raquel, and Rhea in there. The only person in that match that has anything going right now legitimately is Rhea Ripley because you see what she's doing. You see her with the Judgment Day. You see her. She's the only person in the match with a legit, credible storyline. I mean, like, come on. You're not going to have her lose the title at Crown Jewel to any of the women because right now none of them have the juice to carry the freaking thing. And if you put the title on any other woman in that match right now, everybody's just going to look at you like that was a stupid idea. So I could, I see what they're trying to do, but it's just not going to work. I just hope this Fatal 5-Way match at Crown Jewel is basically going to be good. And I think that's what everybody's basically hoping for, if we're going to be honest. Now, next up, we have Giovanni Vinci with Ludwig Kaiser in his corner going against Johnny Gargano. 
Johnny would win the match by pinfall because Johnny would hit the final beat on Giovanni Vinci. Now, in this match, you have uh, Ludwig Kaiser trying to get on the apron to distract the referee, but Tommaso Ciampa, he would appear. He would beat up Kaiser. Kaiser would run uh, through the crowd and run to the back, and that would leave Giovanni Vinci by himself, and that's how he would get hit with the final beat by uh, Johnny Gargano. Now, the funny thing for me here is the whole Imperium storyline that we got here with uh, Giovanni Vinci, Ludwig Kaiser, and Gunther is that Gunther sees Giovanni Vinci as, like, the weak link of the group. Like, he can't hold his own, he can't hold his weight, so that's why he has Kaiser basically being his babysitter for Vinci. And anything Vinci does is all going to go back on Kaiser. And last week, Gunther told both of those gentlemen that he wanted Johnny Gargano uh, taken out. And this was supposed to be their opportunity to do so, and since they, that didn't happen, you're going to see probably next week on Raw, Gunther getting at uh, Kaiser and Vinci, and Kaiser's going to pass the book to Vinci, and it's just... Uh, I think they're trying to make Giovanni and Vinci turn. They're trying to make him be like the sympathetic guy who constantly gets picked on by his two other people in a group, and that's basically the story what they're trying to tell with Vinci. And I hope it works because Giovanni Vinci, he's a talented wrestler. I think this would add something to him. I mean, he was already working on something when he was in NXT doing the whole Italian supermodel, like I'm better than you because I'm from Italy type deal. But we'll have to wait and see. And the funny thing is Ludwig Kaiser, he couldn't get the win last week if it wasn't for Vinci. So I can see Vinci really one day just like slapping the crap out of Kaiser and just walking away because Vinci constantly gets the crap into the stick when it comes down to anybody in Imperium. So again, we'll have to wait and see how the story goes, but I can tell that's where we're going with this. And yeah, I'm just enjoying the ride. Now, next up, we have Logan Paul. Logan Paul comes down to the ring. Logan would boast about Dylan Dennis being dropped from his fight league, and I didn't know what fight league Dylan Dennis was a part of, so I had to look it up, and people on Twitter told me it was... Uh, Bellator, so he's been dropped from Bellator. Too bad, so sad. Uh, Logan will talk about Rey Mysterio and how he plans on taking the United States Championship away from him. Then Logan Paul would continue talking. Then Dominic Mysterio would walk to the ring. And we would get this moment between Logan and Dominic, which they talk about everything they had to overcome to get to where they are today. Dominic uh, having to overcome a deadbeat dad. And Logan Paul, being a kid from Cleveland, had to overcome this and that to go follow his dreams. All that stuff, Logan would then move over to see Samantha, Samantha, sorry, Irvin, the ring announcer, and he would ask her to get in the ring. Samantha wouldn't want to enter the ring, but Logan would sweet talk her, saying that she is doing it better than anyone in the business, how she is remarkable at her job, and the sweet talking would work. Samantha would get in the ring. Logan Paul would he uh Logan Paul would tell Samantha point blank that he would like for Samantha to get some practice in on announcing him as the new United States champion. So he would ask for Samantha to say his name and ask the United States champion. What happened, Ricochet would come out and he'll start doing work. He'll start beating up on Logan. Dominic would get Ricochet off of Logan. Ricochet would beat up on Dominic. Uh, he continued doing what he's doing. He's about to hit shooting star press on Dominic. Logan will pull him out. 
end of the segment. And this segment was set up for next week's match between Ricochet and Dominic. And you can kind of see where it might be going with Logan Paul probably interfering, costing Ricochet the match against Dominic and giving Dom the win. And this could set up something between, again, Logan and Ricochet because they have some unfinished business from SummerSlam, which Logan uh, cheated to win the match at SummerSlam. So Ricochet might make a trip over to Saudi Arabia and cost Logan the match if Logan's going to cheat and Ricochet's probably going to stop that. So again, you got a lot of ways you can go with this, but Ricochet doing something on TV, I'm never ever going to complain. I'm happy he's doing something. And uh, yeah, so we'll see. Now, next up, we have a tag team matchup. Natalia and Nikki Cross going against Chelsea Green and Piper Nevin. Piper and Chelsea would win the match by pinfall. Chelsea would hit the unprettier on Natalia. Then Piper would hit a running crossbody on Natalia for the win. Nikki Cross was no help in this match. Nikki Cross was just staring out into the crowd. She didn't even get tagged in once in this match. She just was nothing. And then she walked to the back. And again, nobody knows what's going on with Nikki. That was just the whole deal. It's still so bizarre. So we'll have to wait and see how uh, the rest of it goes. Now, next up, we have Sami Zayn versus uh, Drew McIntyre. Drew would win the match by pinfall thanks to Rhea Ripley interfering. When Sammy was looking to hit uh, the Huluva kick on Drew, you'll see Rhea Ripley pop up and she'll get on the apron. She would look at Sammy. Sammy would walk over to Rhea. Rhea would drop off the apron. And this will allow Drew to hit Sammy with a Huluva kick to win the match. Sammy and Drew, they have one hell of a match. Um, but again, this still goes with the terms of Rhea Ripley trying to recruit someone to join Judgment Day. Or at least having... Drew and Seth have some confusion between the two, causing some confusion between the two. Because now you got Drew thinking Seth's going to join the Judgment Day, and now you got Seth thinking that Drew's going to join the Judgment Day, and that will even go to a backstage statement between the two men. And they will basically say, I'm not lining myself up with Judgment Day. I'm not lining myself up with Judgment Day. Let's have a good match at Crown Jewel and let the best man win. So, again... With Damian Priest being at Crown Jewel and Rhea Ripley being at Crown Jewel, Dominic and Finn, they're probably not so far away. They're probably going to be at Crown Jewel too. And they're going to have a bird's eye view on the match between Drew and Seth at Crown Jewel for the World Heavyweight Championship. And that will tell us if any one of them was actually joining the Judgment Day or was Judgment Day just using them both. If it was me, I think Judgment Day is using them both. And that's just what it is. But... We'll have to wait and see what would happen at a uh, Crown Jewel. Next up, Bronson Reed going against Akira Tozawa. Bronson Reed will win the match by pinfall when Bronson will hit a tsunami for the win. There you go. Now we move over to our main event. Damian Priest going against Jay Uso. Damian Priest would win the match by pinfall thanks to interference from Finn Balor. Once Jay Uso will hit the Uso splash on Damian Priest and goes for the pin. You will see Finn Balor run down to the ring, get on the apron, and the referee would stop the count. Jay Uso, he would get up, he would hit Finn, knocking Finn off the apron, and then this will allow Damian Priest to get up, hit the south side of heaven, choke slam on Jay to win the match. Now, after the match, you had Finn get in there, uh, help Priest put the boots to Jay. They were planning on injuring Jay the same way that Damian Priest injured Cody early in the night, put his foot in a chair, about to smash it, but then you will hear Cody Rhodes' music come out. Cody Rhodes will come to the ring, his foot 
looks like he's in a cast, but he still comes out there. Finn will leave the ring to try to meet Cody at the stage. Cody will beat up on Finn. And then once Cody got into the ring, he would throw hands with Priest. Priest would get his butt beat by Cody. Cody looks to injure Priest the same way that Priest injured him. But Finn will pull Priest out of the ring. And that's how Smack, not SmackDown, God. That's how Raw would end. So you got a one-legged man kicking a two-legged man's ass to end the show. And I don't care if Priest literally just got done wrestling against Jey Uso. You mean to tell me two guys, Finn and Priest, couldn't have beat Cody and put him down? Okay, cool. I see what we're doing. Cody's supposed to be the good guy. Supposed to be Captain America. I get it. I like Cody. No problem. But that, yeah, I would have just left Raw ending with uh, Finn and Priest standing over a beaten Jey Uso and just call it a day after that. Because again, you still get the whole, okay, Bloodline still got business probably with uh, Judgment Day, or Judgment Day probably got business with the Bloodline. That's the reason why they're going so hard at Jay. You can still play into that. That's the way I would end it off Monday Night Raw, not with both of your guys getting their ass kicked by a one-legged man. But again, not my company, not the way out. I would run it, but hey, they're doing their own thing, and they still got business booming. So what do I know, right? Now, with that being said, that was your Raw Wrestling Highlights of the Week. And now we move over to NXT, and this is Halloween Havoc Night 1, or as I would like to call it, Ladies' Night, because this episode of NXT was dominated by the women. I mean, you had five women's matches on this show. You only had, what, I believe, two male matches, and I'll get to those matches in a minute, but NXT was showing everyone that they care about women's wrestling and I feel that NXT is giving Impact Wrestling a run for their money because Impact Wrestling is like the only other like show on North American television, or at least in American television, that is showcasing women's wrestling frequently. Impact, they do it. They give the women like the main event spots, and they'll give like two or three women's matches on their uh, show, and they'll give them time. AEW, they'll try it, but they'll only give like one or two, but sometimes their matches are quick. But NXT and Impact, they're like the women's wrestling shows. If you want women's wrestling and give it a lot of time, that's enough time for them to showcase what they can do. That's Impact and NXT. And NXT tonight, I mean, on night one of Halloween Havoc, I mean, they were just letting it all hang out. I mean, the first match, you have a Devil's Playground match. And it's basically a no-holds-barred with, uh, no, excuse me, Falls Count Anywhere match with, uh, Weapons around the ring. You had a playset at the entrance stage. Um, it was decorated to match the Halloween theme. And you had Roxanne Perez going against Keanu James here. Roxanne would win the match by pinfall by hitting Pop Rocks outside of the ring onto Keanu James' pocketbook to win the match. I liked this match. I liked the ending because the match began with Keanu literally going after Roxanne with the pocketbook. And it ended with Roxanne hitting uh, Pop Rocks on the pocketbook and even Roxanne using the pocketbook towards the end of the match because this match was literally centered around the pocketbook. Keanu James, she would constantly try to use the pocketbook in all her previous matches. And once it's now here with Roxanne, she basically fell because of the pocketbook. So that's a character deal that we saw with uh, Keanu James 
So she lived by the sword and she died by the sword, essentially. And now with Roxanne hopefully ending her rivalry here with Kiana, she can now move over into something else. Now, next up, we have the NXT debut of Lexus King, formerly known as Brian Pillman Jr. He went against Dante Chin. Lexus would win the match by pinfall by hitting a cross-arm uh, hanging neckbreaker. And I liked this match, but I have a couple questions. The biggest question would be, when do we ever give like the opponent of a debuting superstar a lot of offense. I don't I don't remember a match like that. I mean the only match that's coming to my mind was big dude uh going against Oro Mensa, whether it was earlier this year or late last year, the big black dude that we haven't seen in some time going against Oro Mensa. That's the only one. Other than that, whenever someone's like debuting in any sh- like promotion You'll give someone a little bit of offensive, but it's more for the person that's debuting to showcase and let everyone know what they can do and showcase what they're all about. Uh, Lexus King, Brian Pillman Jr., sorry, he wants to be known as Lexus King, so I'm going to try to respect that. He's here. He looks like Brian Pillman, but he's trying to shed the name of Brian Pillman. He just wants to be known as his own man. He doesn't want to be known as Brian Pillman Jr., nothing with Pillman. But it's crazy because he looks like Brian Pillman. I mean, from the attire to the way he comes out, I mean, my God, he looks like Pillman. So it's going to be interesting to see how they do this with Lexus to separate him from Pillman, to be honest, but I don't think that's going to just rub off of him, to be honest with you. I think everybody's just going to constantly basically try to prefer him as Brian Pillman Jr., and I think it's more likely going to just go back to him being Brian Pillman Jr. if I'm going to be completely honest, but we'll wait and see, but it was still a good match between Lexus King, Dante Chin, but Lexus, he will get the win as was be uh, expected. Now, next up, we have the semifinals of the breakout tournament between Kalani Jordan and Ariana Grace. Kalani Jordan would win the match and advance to the finals by hitting a split-legged moonsault to win the match, so Kalani will have to wait for later in the night between Lola Vice and Carmen uh, Petrovic to see who would be facing her next week in the finals of the breakout tournament. And I'll get to that when I get to that match. Next up will be the NXT Tag Team Championship match. It'll be the families, Tony D'Angelo and Stax Lorenzo going against Chase Hughes, Andre Chase, and Duke Hudson, who have Thea Hale and JC Jane in their corner. Chase Hughes will become the new NXT Tag Team Champions by pinfall thanks to JC Jane. When JC wanted Andre Chase to use the crowbar when the referee was looking at Tony and JC slid the crowbar over to Andre, Andre told her that's not how we do things, and he slid it right back to JC. So JC would get on the apron, and you see Andre Chase and Tony like fighting for position. Andre would like throw Tony into the ropes, but he doesn't see JC on the apron. Tony would knock JC off the apron and fall to the ground. Tony would see JC on the ground looking at her like, what did I do? And Andre would roll up uh, Tony to win the match. So now with Chase U having the NXT Tag Team titles, we probably might be getting new Tag Team Championships on the way. And I mean in the form of Thea Hill and JC Jane going at the Tag Team titles because later in the night you will see Andre Chase, Duke, Thea, and JC talking backstage, and then you would see Chelsea Green and Piper Niven walk up to them 
Chelsea and Piper, they have Halloween costumes on. They make a comment. Thea Hill and JC, they don't take kindly to it. Chelsea says she's going to make a complaint to Shawn Michaels. JC says that we're going to show you to his office. And when we do, we're going to ask him for a tag team title shot against those tag team titles. So it will be an official on night two next week of NXT Halloween Havoc. It will be JC and Thea Hale going against Chelsea Green and Piper Niven for the Women's Championship. So Chase, you might be getting another set of tag titles along with the NXT Men Tag Team titles. Now, next up, we have the Lights Out match between Blair Davenport and Gigi Dolan. Blair would win the match by pinfall by hitting a Falcon Arrow off the announced table through a table below it. Then putting Gigi into the ring and hitting a Kumagoye, which is a knee strike for the win. Solid match between the two. You had uh, Blair and Gigi using uh, Blair's belt on one another, a trash can, uh, steel chairs. I mean, they were just going for it in this match, and I got no beef with it because um, Gigi and Blair, their whole deal is that Blair attacks people from behind, and she did this to Gigi, so... This was more of a street fight element, and people enjoyed it. So that's all that really mattered. And now with Blair Davenport winning and putting Gigi behind her, we'll have to wait and see what uh, is next for Blair Davenport. Now next up, the semifinals of the breakout tournament. Carmen Petrovic going against Lola Vice, who have Electra Lopez in her corner. Lola Vice would win the match and advance to the finals with a spinning heel kick for the win. So next week in the finals, it'll be Kalani Jordan going against Lola Vice. And these are two people that the fans actually care for. Kalani Jordan, we got to see her come in. She was uh, sided with Dana Brooke before Dana Brooke got released. So we got to see Kalani do her thing, and now she's on her own. Lola Vice, she comes from the MMA world. We see her come in. She's a fine-looking specimen. They're in Miami, the Latino the Latina community, I mean, people love Lola down there. So it's going to be an evenly 50-50 match, I feel, from the crowd next week. And either person that wins, I think the crowd is going to be happy with it. So we're just going to have to wait and see who wins next week and becomes the next uh, breakout for the NXT Women's Division. Now, we go to the main event for the NXT Women's Championship. We have Lyra Valkyria going against the champion, Becky Lynch. And we will have Jay Cargill making her presence she would be watching this match from the NXT perch in her throne. And Lyra would win the NXT Women's Championship by pinfall by countering a manhandle slam into a cradle pin for the win. And after the match, Becky would take the championship away from the referee and hand it to Lyra and Hugger. Now, this was a good main event match from Becky and Lyra. And I don't think people... Ex- I'm not going to say they didn't expect it. I don't think that they thought that they would get the type of match that Lyra and Becky gave the crowd because you have both of them going out and hitting both of their uh, moves. Lyra would hit a heel kick and nail Becky with it and cover her, didn't get the win. Uh, She would go for the splash, Becky would move. You would see Becky try to go for disarmor, lock her in the disarmor. Lyra never tapped out. You would see Becky hit a manhandle slam at one point in the match, and Lyra would kick out. Becky would just be like, what am I going to do? Becky would even go to hit a superplex and follow it up with a DDT, and that didn't put Lyra away. I mean, as I said, both of these ladies were putting on a fight between each other, and people were really going 50-50. You had people literally chanting Becky, 
and then Lyra just going back to back. And it was a great way to end NXT with a new champion. And maybe Jay Cargill's going to be going after the NXT Women's Championship. We'll have to wait and see because, again, Jade, she's a, she's a specimen. She is the hottest free agent in WWE, technically, because you don't know. Yeah, she appeared on NXT, but you got to remember, she pops up on Raw and she pops up on SmackDown. So we'll have to wait and see. I will only confirm anything when I see her literally get in the ring and pop somebody in the face on a certain brand. That's the only way I will know that she's literally sticking with that brand. Her just watching that match in her throne, that doesn't mean nothing to me. She could just be the friend NXT at that one moment. The next thing you know, she pops up on SmackDown watching from a chair on the ramp. I mean, dude, as I said, they're putting a lot of star power, a lot of eyes on Jay Cargo because, again, she is a specimen. She is, I mean, God, she is it when you look at her. But it's going to be interesting to see where she's landing to see if she's going to be an NXT and doing this stuff because you got Tiffany Stratton, who is a specimen herself. You got Fallon Henley, who is a go-getter in the ring. You have Lyra Valkyrie, the new NXT Women's Champion, who the fans really like. You have also Lola Vice and Kalani Jordan, who's going to be going against one another in the finals for the breakout tournament. And the winner, by the way, they get a shot at a championship of their own choosing when they want to. It's basically like a money in the bank, but not having to climb up for a ladder with this. They get a contract at any time that they feel like. So, Again, you got a lot of moving parts of NXT, so NXT is hot with females wrestlers on there. So if Jay Cargill goes down there, I don't think there'll be any problem. I think, if anything, it'll help. It'll play to her favor. But again, we'll wait and see as the time comes. Now, with that being said, that was your NXT Wrestling Highlights of the Week. Now we move over to AEW Dynamite. But before I start Dynamite, I have been not covering AEW Collision. I've been talking about what's going on on Collision for the past couple weeks. So let me give you a nice good little recap of what happened on this past episode of Collision. Um, in the main event, you have Big Bill and Ricky Starks defending the AEW World Tag Team Championships against Claudio Castagnoli and Will Uta. Uh, Will Uta and Claudio would not get the tag team titles. Those will still belong to Ricky Starks and Big Bill thanks to interference from House of Black. House of Black did return on AEW Collision. Earlier in the night, you had Brian Danielson going against, I can't remember who it would be, but when the lights popped off, I believe after the match, when it popped back on, uh, Brian Danielson will be looking at Malachi Black. Oh, yes, Brian Danielson went against uh, Andrade. I forgot. Even though they had a good match, I just forgot who uh, Brian went against, but Andrade and uh, Brian had a good match, but Brian would win the match. After the match, uh, the lights went off. Once the pop had gone, Malachi Black would be in the ring. He would hit Brian with a uh, spinning kick to the face, knocking Brian out. And this would transition into the main event where you see Claudio and Yuta lose the tag team matchup because of uh, Brody King and Buddy Matthews being there. So it seems that we're starting a uh, Blackpool Combat Club going against the House of Black, but this would not follow into AEW Dynamite. There was no mention of House of Black. There was nothing. This would probably be a Collision storyline. I just want to let everybody know what's going on on Collision. Now, moving away from that, now let me get to what happened on AEW Dynamite. 
Dynamite will open up with a backstage interview with the AEW World Champion MJF as he's about to go against Juice Robinson to defend his Dynamite Diamond Ring. As MJF was talking, he would make a phone call to Adam Cole. Adam Cole answered the phone and MJF would ask Adam, how is he doing? And how's he uh, been since he's got his surgery for his ankle and that he's moved away from Roddy Strong. And once he asked him that question, out would roll Roderick Strong with the kingdom backing him. Uh, Roddy would tell MGF that he is going to be basically helping MGF out dealing with the Bullet Club Gold because he knows MGF has nobody to help him because he's been a scumbag. MGF would basically be snarky about it and say, oh, really? And he would get up in Roddy's face and just push him and get Roddy out of his whole atmosphere. MGF would deliver a scathing promo to Juice Robinson saying that he's going to beat him and retain his Dynamite Diamond Ring and bloody him. So we would get to that match. It'll be the first match of Dynamite. MGF, Juice Robinson, Dynamite Diamond Rings. Juice would have the guns in his corner. MGF would retain his ring by pinfall when the guns would try to interfere, but the referee would kick the ropes to keep the guns out. This allowed Juice to pull his little ring out of his pocket, and MGF would pull the Dynamite Diamond Ring out of his trunks. And this would be a battle to see which man would hit the other with their respective ring first. Juice would try, and MGF would duck it. MGF would actually be able to clock Juice in the face, then hit the Heat Seeker to pin Juice Robinson to still retain his Dynamite Diamond Ring, and I believe this is his fourth or fifth time holding on to that ring. Now, after the match, uh, Juice, Jay, and the Guns would beat up on MJF. Roddy in the Kingdom, they would come down to try to make the save. Roddy would tell Matt Taven and Mike Bennett to get in the ring and try to help MJF out. And they would try, but the Guns, they would clothesline the Kingdom out of the ring. Then you see the Acclaim come running down with Billy Gunn. And once the Acclaim and Billy Gunn come running down, you will see Bullet Club Gold leave the ring and head up the ramp. Now, the main gist of this was that the Guns, they would challenge MGF to a match at full gear for the Ring of Honor Tag Team titles because they want to take another set of gold away from MGF. MGF would accept. So it seems we have a two-on-one situation for full gear for the Ring of Honor Tag Team titles as well as MGF going against Jay White for the World Championship. So it seems... He's pulling double duty yet again. Uh, and also, MGF would tell Jay White that he is taking up Jay White on his offer that Jay White made a couple weeks ago. That MGF has to find three partners. And if he does, he'll be able to go against Bullet Club Gold to try to gain back possession of his ring, uh, AEW World Championship. So. You have this moment where Roddy tells MJF, you're going to pick me in the kingdom, right? And MJF would tell Roddy that Roddy and the kingdom, they can roll off a cliff because he is not picking them. Now you get Max Caster. He says, well, surely you're going to pick me and my guys, right? MJF will tell Max, listen, I've known you since I was 18. And from the bottom of my heart, I mean this. I never liked you. So you still have Max Caster still trying to persuade MJF to be his friend, be the guy to uh, 
just basically accept the acclaims help. You have Anthony Bowens even trying to chime in, but MGF still wouldn't take their help. Uh, Max will say, before we leave here, can you at least scissor me? And MGF, he will decline it, and he will just close Max's fingers together and walk out of the ring, and that would get Billy Gunn upset. Billy wants to get at MGF, but you see Anthony Bowens and Max Caster kind of holding off Billy, and that that made me laugh, because out of all the things that Billy Gunn could have got at MGF, it's just because he didn't want to scissor with Max. I'm sorry, that, that made me laugh. Um, as MGF is going up the ramp, he will be stopped by Kenny Omega. Kenny Omega would tell MGF that you have something that I want, and I have something that you want. What Kenny has that MGF wants is the longest reigning uh, reign as AEW World Champion. So Kenny would throw out the challenge to MGF for a match for the World Championship, and MGF would accept, and he would say that that match will happen this Saturday on Collision. So we have the match set up, and if MGF does beat Kenny Omega, MGF will be the longest reigning AEW World Champion because he's only three days away from beating uh, Kenny Omega's record. So we have that. Now, this wouldn't be the end of MGF's worries because later in the night, you'll get a video of Warlow and he would explain why he's been gone from AEW for months. And he says that he's basically been sitting on his couch and he had to watch as MGF throughout the months just start going up in the ranks and just become the face of AEW. This guy that was a scumbag that's done horrible things that's basically crapped on the company. I mean, just basically be an utter dick is the guy that is now having everybody chanting his name. And Warlow's not happy about it. He's not happy at all. So now his whole mission is to basically take everything away from MJF. So that's Warlow's whole deal. And that's the reason why we're starting to see a more... Vicious side of Warlow, and later in the night, you would see Samoa Joe pop up on MJF in the trainer's room. He would offer his assistance to MJF because, as I've said, MJF doesn't have a lot of friends. MJF would tell Samoa Joe, you know what, I'll take you up on your assistance. Shake Samoa Joe's hands, and Samoa Joe would say that I'll do this on one condition. I want a rematch for that AEW World Championship. And he tells him, listen, you don't got any answer right now, but with everything going on around you, I'm willing to bet I'm going to get my answer pretty quickly. So everything is closing in on MGF. Again, he has Bullet Club Gold to deal with. He has Kenny Omega now to deal with. He has a Wardlow problem looming over his shoulders, and now he still has a Samoa Joe problem. So as I've said before, the sins of MGF from him being a dickhead for the past four years of his career in AEW is all seeming to now come all upon him. And also, we still have to figure out who's under the devil mask and trying to plant that whole scene was basically MGF attacking Jay White because that's still afoot at the moment. So again, MGF, he's got a lot on his plate. So it's going to be a nice little balancing act to see how they constantly move everything in between with MJF because MJF is probably the most busiest guy on AEW roster with storylines, if we're going to be honest. Now, moving away from MJF, we get to 
Our second match of the night will be a tag team matchup. It'll be RVD and Hook going against the Dark Orders, John Silver and Alex Reynolds. Uh, Hook and RVD would win the match by submission when Hook will lock in the red rum on John Silver to make Silver tap out. RVD, he would hit the five-star frog splash on Alex Reynolds, and he would be able to hit a Van Terminator on Evil Uno during the match, so RVD was able to play his greatest hits. Since they were in Philadelphia, he got the nice pop from the Philly fans from his time in ECW, so it was a good time, and also seeing RVD team up with Hook, Taz's kid, who RVD has had history with Taz as well, it was a nice feeling, and even on commentary after the match, they mentioned how Hook even cracked a little bit of a smile, and this is the first time that we've seen Hook even crack a smile, so that was a good thing that we got to see here from Hook, so again, that was a nice feel-good moment, especially knowing you're in Philly, you know the history of RVD and Hook and all that good stuff. Next up, we have Sting and Darby Allen coming down to the ring. This is supposed to be time for Sting to get his special uh, gift from Tony Khan. But before he does this, Sting would thank the Philly fans and give thanks to Darby for being the best tag team partner he has ever had, which would get some audible O's in the crowd. And Sting would even mention it. And he thinks, oh, you guys thought I was going to say something else. And again, people are probably thinking whenever Sting and tag team partners are always going to think Lex Luger, right, with Sting. So that's the reason why Sting got those O's. Um, Sting would thank Tony Khan for giving him a call four years ago and allow him to continue to wrestle a little bit longer. Sting would then pass over to Mike to Tony Schiavone. And Tony would mention how Tony Khan has been promoting a special gift for Sting on social media, and we would get that gift, and the gift would be Ric Flair. Ric Flair, WWE Hall of Famer, Hall of Famer in wrestling in general, he will be in AEW. Ric Flair will come down to the ring and talk about Sting, mentioning how he is still good in the ring, how he still is able to go in the ring, their history with one another, and how Sting is the nicest guy in the business, and Ric Flair wants to be with Sting as he uh, ties his career up in AEW. So we would get Ric Flair start hyping himself up a little bit. You see him about to bounce off the ropes. He wants Sting to chop him. Sting won't chop him. So Sting gets a chop from Flair in a jokingly fashion. And it's just a nice, good, feel-good moment between Sting and uh, Ric Flair because you know the respect that Sting has for Flair. You know the respect that... Flair has for Sting, so it was nice to get that moment between the two. But all that will come to an end once TNT champion Christian Cage, Luchasaurus, and Nick Wayne will come out on the stage. Uh, Christian would be a menace and talk crap about Flair being Sting's gift from Tony Khan, and he's saying that's the equivalent to a couple gold chains and a watch. The crowd would chant at Christian that Flair isn't dead. Because, as we all know, Christian's whole thing is to go after somebody, uh, father that's dead. That's his whole shtick in AEW to kind of get the whole ooze from the crowd. And Christian, he will hear them. He says, yeah, I know. Flair isn't dead. Trust me, I see it. But I know that there isn't a God. Because there is one. Flair would have been dead 20 years ago. So, that would have got the big audible O's from the crowd. And even commentary would say, man. God, Christian, you don't even got to go there. So, again, Christian's still a complete menace in the dick. Um, 
Christian Wood then gets a business and say that he wants Sting out of the business right now instead of at Revolution. And he would insist on a three-on-three match. Sting and Darby, they find their partner going against himself, Luchasaurus and Nick Wayne. So we would have that. Sting would rebuttal and mockingly sneeze into the mic and say that he's allergic to jackasses. And Sting would accept. Now, later in the night, Adam Copeland, he would have a backstage interview with Renee Paquette. Darby Allen and Sting would walk up on Copeland because Adam Copeland still says that he does not want to fight Christian Cage because uh, the business is the business. He's known Christian for some time outside of the business, so he still has that personal connection to him. Darby would tell him, listen, you think I wanted to bust Nick Wayne's face last week? No, but what needs to be done needs to be done. So Darby gives Adam that prep talk. Then you get Sting, the legend, giving Adam that pep talk. And Sting is basically trying to tell him, listen, you got to do what you got to do. You got to be a man. You got to step up for this because you got to open your eyes. He's not going to quit. He's going to constantly be on this road that he's on right now. So as I said, I think we're going to get Adam Copeland joining Sting and Darby at full gear against Christian Cage, Luchasaurus, and Nick Wayne. Nothing was confirmed, but... You can tell that's the way that they're going. Now, next up, we have the Ring of Honor six-man championship matchup, the Elite, which are the Young Bucks and Hangman Page, defending the titles against the Hardys and Isaiah Cassidy. The Elite would win the match by pinfall, with Hangman hitting a buckshot lariat on Isaiah Cassidy. Then the Bucks hitting a BTE trigger on Cassidy to win the match. Now, after the match, there'll be a video playing on the screen, and it's Swerve and Prince Nana breaking into Hangman Page's home. Uh, Hangman, he will see this, he will leave the ring, he will start uh, running to the back, and we will start getting in focus on what's happening in the video. Uh, Swerve would walk into Hangman's child's room, and he would walk over to the crib, and he would say that last week, I mentioned how the sins of the father doesn't have to be paid by the father. Sometimes it can be paid by the people around him, or the people that means the the most to him. So you think that Swerve's going to do something to Hangman's kid, but he doesn't. He basically says to the crib that you owe me. I'm not going to hurt you, but you owe me. I'm going to leave you a gift and Swerve will leave him a t-shirt and he says, you're not going to forget this because I'm not. But you got your father to thank for this because you owe me a debt. So, Swerve has proven to be one of the biggest villains is between him and Christian, to be honest, because MGF, he has his limits, but he's been doing this whole thing with Adam uh, Cole, so that's kind of been getting him off of the being an evil guy. And Christian Cage and Swerve, they've just been taking it and be like, okay, what's wrong with it? And Swerve, this has been his moment since uh, doing the Mogul Embassy. He's been growing into a top-notch villain and just having his moment in this right now with him going against Hangman Page, you starting to see Swerve get that moment, get that shine, get that spotlight, and even the crowd's invested in Swerve. Everybody's been invested in Swerve for some time, but it just seems that he's getting that spotlight just dropped on him, time on TV for people to actually care about what he's doing. So with Swerve getting this time, it's just great to see that. I like where we're going with uh, Hangman and Swerve, I can see them doing some type of 
death match like stipulation between the two because I see Heyman getting pissed off with Swerve and wanted to take his head off. That's where I think we're leading to probably with another match at full gear. And I, as I said, I think it's going to be some type of death match type situation because no man is going to be okay with another man just breaking into his home and like walking over his kid's crib. So I think that's where the story or at least the match should be leading to next. But again, I'll just have to wait and see just like the rest of everybody else. Now next up, we have the AEW Women's Championship match. Carl Sheeta defended her title against Ruby Soho. Sheeta would retain her championship by pinfall by hitting the katana for the win. Solid match between uh, Ruby and Hukaru Shida. We get the usual trying to cheat philosophy from Ruby trying to use the spray paint, but she doesn't. She tosses it over to Shida, drops to the mat, acts like Shida sprayed her with the face with the spray paint. Uh, as the referee's arguing with Shida, you see Ruby leave the ring, grab the women's championship, try to hit Shida with it. Shida will block. Well, try to spray Ruby with the spray paint can. Ruby will block that with the championship. Referee will take it. And again, we get some shenanigans between Ruby again. But all the shenanigans never paid off. Sheeta is still your AEW Women's Champion. After the match, timeless Tony Storm will come out on the stage. She has a new butler, which is Luther, I believe, uh, behind her. And it was announced on commentary that Tony will be challenging for the AEW Women's Championship at full gear. So we have to wait and see who Tony will be going against for the AEW Women's Championship. Now, we will go over to our main event. It's a tag team matchup. Blackpool Combat Club's members, Brian Danielson and Claudio Castagnoli, going against AEW International Champion Orange Cassidy and Kazuska Okada. Brian Danielson and Claudio Castagnoli would win the match by pinfall when Claudio would catch Orange Cassidy and get him with a pop-up European uppercut to win the match. This was a great main event match for AEW. This caught me off guard whenever they mentioned that Okada was going to be on uh, Dynamite. I believe it was, whether it was last week on Dynamite or on Collision. One of the two. I was shocked. And I was like, oh, so he's going to be here. Okay. And you got to see it. You got to see Claudio pace up and match up with Okada, they had a nice little back and forth. You had Okada wanting Brian, and Brian kind of had to step out for a minute so he couldn't, uh, so Okada couldn't get what he wanted. But when you got Okada in the ring with Brian, Okada tried to go after Brian, and Brian was able to hold his own the same way that he was able to do at Forbidden Door. This was the first time that Brian Danielson even got into a match with Arch Cassidy. They mentioned that on commentary. So this one tag match meant a lot. And for the Blackpool Comic Club to come out on top, it means a lot because after the match was done, it was announced on commentary yet again, Claudio Castagnoli, since he beat Arch Cassidy, and he mentioned how in 365 days, not a lot of men were able to say that, Claudio will be getting an international championship match next week against Orange. But the biggest thing to take away from this is that after the match was done, Brian Danielson will be holding his jaw because... In the match, Orange Cassidy popped uh, Brian in the face with an orange punch. And it seems that Brian is selling the effects of that punch to the face because you see Willie Uta come down, John Moxley will come down, the medic will come down to look at Brian's face. And then you have the best friends and Hook come down 
to look at Orange, and we get this moment with Wheeler Yuta and Hook just like dead eye, just staring at one another. I mean, shooting murder once. I mean, just staring at one another. Yuta would get up, and Claudio would go over to Yuta, try to make sure he ain't about to do something stupid. And the best friends would see that same thing with Hook, try to make sure Hook ain't about to do nothing. And it seems that we're getting this thing between Hook and Yuta. It could be over the FTW title next, maybe. I would think it probably could be, because I like the idea of Yuta and Hook. Why not? Because, again, Yuta is good. He was able to match up with a what, Daniel Garcia last year for the Pure Championship, and they had some good matches. I think with Yuta going against Hook for the FTW title, I think everybody will be able to see the in-ring growth of Hook, and if not the in-ring growth, Hook will be able to learn some things from Yuta in their little program. So, I'm not mad if that's the angle that we're going with this, but also, we still got the John Moxley angle with uh, Orange Cassidy as well, because Orange Cassidy, he still wants that smoke with John and John, he ain't got no beef with Orange like that, but he'll give it to him. So we still got that between the two. So AEW, they're cooking with a lot of storylines right now on Dynamite and also with Collision. I just am loving what they're doing, to be completely honest with you. So with that being said, that was your AEW Dynamite Wrestling Highlights of the Week. Now we move over to Impact Wrestling. And Impact Wrestling this week was them basically just highlighting what happened at Bound for Glory. Now, they will highlight the tag team match. They will highlight the Call Your Gauntlet match. And they will even highlight the Knockouts uh, Championship match. But they will show two matches in their entirety. It will be Will Ospreay going against Speedball Mike Bailey and the Impact World Championship match between Alex Shelley and Josh Alexander. I will say this to you right now. If you did not watch Impact this week, try to find it so you can see what happened at Bound for Glory. Uh, Josh Alexander, he lost to Alex Shelley. Alex Shelley is still your Impact World Champion. They had a great match. Uh, Will Ospreay, Mike Bailey, everybody kind of knew that was going to be the match to steal the night at Bound for Glory, which it was. Um, Will Ospreay, he would win the match, but Mike Bailey, he showed his ass in that match, which everybody kind of expected from Mike Bailey, because as I've said constantly before, Mike Bailey is Impact Wrestling's like second chosen guy to be up next. The way that Josh Alexander was Impact's guy to be up next in 2021, and for him to win the title in what? No, no, he won the title in 2022. Yeah, because he had to just drop it this year. God, the years fly by so quick. Um, that's how it would feel for Mike Bailey in this match with Will Ospreay and also the build-up to the match with Will Ospreay for this whole entire year. Mike Bailey, he was on this cusp. You see that he's going up there. You see that they're building him to be the guy for Impact, to be the guy for the years to come. And with this match with Will Ospreay, it just more likely solidified it because Will Ospreay and Mike Bailey, they just threw everything at each other. Kicks, slams. Will Ospreay hit all of his special moves on uh, Mike Bailey. Mike Bailey hit all his special moves on Will Ospreay, but still, Will Ospreay, he would get the win because he's just the biggest guy at the moment. But if it was the other way around, they would have gave Mike Bailey the win because, again, Mike Bailey is basically the guy in wrestling as well with Will Ospreay. So, again, I would say go out of your way to watch Will Ospreay going against Speedball Mike Bailey and Josh Alexander going against Alex Shelley. Um, Oh, yeah. 
Will Osprey, he beat Mike Bailey. Uh, Josh Alexander lost to Alex Shelley. Trinity, she will retain her knockouts championship. The Rascals, they will lose their TNA, well, their Impact World Tag Team titles to the ABC, uh, Chris Bay and Ace Austin. Jordan Grace, she would win the Call Your Shot gauntlet, and she will now be facing Trinity at TNA's Hard to Kill in January. And I said that right, TNA is no longer Impact Wrestling. Impact Wrestling, the name, will be going away in January when Hard to Kill, that pay-per-view happens because TNA, Total Nonstop Action, that name will be coming back to this promotion and everybody was happy, excited about it. Me, I'm cool, I'm happy with it. I thought they were going to bring the six-sided ring back, but then you hear from wrestlers like, nope, they're not bringing the six-sided ring back. They're going to stand with the four... Uh, ring, and I'm cool with that too because the wrestlers mentioned how the six-sided was uh, very, very stiff and it was hard while the four-sided ring is way more easier on their body, so I'm glad for that as long as people take care of the wrestlers' bodies. That's all I personally ever really do care about. So I'm happy to TNA, the name's coming back. It sounded way better for me because I've been a TNA guy since, what, 2004? So, again, the name coming back, changing it back from Impact Wrestling to TNA Wrestling. I'm happy for it. And uh, I just can't wait to see how they continue on. But, again, Impact this week was great, but I can't wait for them to go back to TNA Wrestling because it's going to feel good, so good just for me to say TNA every single week. Now, moving off from Impact Wrestling, we go over into SmackDown. SmackDown would open up with a contract signing between Roman Reigns and LA Knight. Now, this segment was to make LA Knight the biggest star that they possibly could. And how they started off with Roman Reigns coming down. And he usually has two uh, stopping motions where Pyro cuts from. The first one when he's on the stage. The second one is when he's in the ring. So, Roman's at his first stop to make the first Pyro. But before he even does this, LA Knight music would hit. And he would just walk past Roman like he doesn't even see Roman. This was like catch Roman and Paul by complete surprise. You have both of them befuddled at this moment. And Roman, he just smiles along and just goes with it. Now we get in the ring. The contract table is right there. And usually Roman Reigns sits literally at the head of the table because that's his whole shtick being the head of the table, the tribal chief. LA Knight, he decides to sit at the head of the table. Paul Heyman, he's trying to get LA Knight to move. LA Knight won't move. Paul would just try to move the table. Knight would hold the table. Roman would have to tell Paul, it's okay. And Roman would sit at the side of the table. And again, this whole segment was literally made for LA Knight to be a bigger star and to showcase everyone that Knight has a chance to beat Roman Reigns at Crown Jewel. Knight would talk some trash to Roman, then sign the contract. Roman Reigns would talk some back, saying that this is LA Knight's first time fighting for a championship. This is his first time being a contract signing. Basically, this is his first time just having this type of starlight on him being in the main event. Uh, Roman would say he's going to take it easy on LA so he can enjoy this moment, but still in the end, Roman is still going to come out as champion. LA Knight, he would retort to that. He would tell Roman that he hopes he takes it easy on him because when he does so, that's going to allow LA Knight to capitalize and be the WWE champion, and Roman Reigns will realize what, will ha- what just happened. LA Knight would do a comparison of each of their first year. How Roman's first year can't basically touch LA Knight's first year. How Roman 
uh, wasn't able to just to come in the way that LA Knight came in and basically took the uh, crowd in the SmackDown by storm and make everybody within one year's time realize who game it is and how LA Knight's now in this main event spot, in this main event picture. So Roman is sitting there and he just biting his teeth because LA Knight would tell Roman that he has to acknowledge him because he is at <laughs> the head of the table. And Roman's hearing all this trash that LA Knight's saying. Roman would get up, flip the table over on LA and just start beating on him. Now, this is the first time I can remember Roman Reigns just losing his composure at a contract signing. Now, as I said, he probably has lost it before, but this is the first time I can remember it. Uh, Roman would beat up on LA Knight. He would grab another table because Roman flipped that table outside of the ring, breaking one of the legs. So he gets another table, brings it in the ring, set it up. He wants to grab LA again, but this time LA Knight is fighting back against Roman. He's beating up on Roman, even drops him. Now, Jimmy Uso will come in the ring. Jimmy would attack LA Knight from behind. This allows Roman Reigns to uh, roll out of the ring and walk to the back. Jimmy will go to grab LA Knight and try to put him through the table, but LA Knight would backdrop Jimmy Uso through the table, breaking it, and that's how this contract uh, signing segment would end. So LA Knight came out on top of this. Now, later in the night, we have a backstage segment between Jimmy Uso and Roman Reigns in Roman's uh, locker room. Jimmy will come in there hurt, and Roman would tell Jimmy that he has to take care of this. This thing has to be done tonight. So Roman would tell Paul that he needs to make the match between Jimmy Uso and LA Knight so we get that match made into the main event. Now, the first match of the night would be a tag team match. Carlito and Santos Escobar, LWO. Going against the Street Profit, who have Bobby Lashley in their corner. The Street Profits would win the match by pinfall, thanks to interference from Logan Paul by screen. Because Santos and Carlito would have the advantage in the ring, and on the screen they would see Rey Mysterio watching this match from the backstage area. And as Rey is watching, Logan Paul would appear and pop Rey in the face. So once this happens, you see... uh. Ray go down. You see Carlito start rushing. Well, not rushing to the back. Santos has to tell Carlito to rush in the back and look after Ray. And once Carlito does rush to the back, this is when the Street Profits would take advantage and the Street Profits would hit the revelation on Santos to win the match. Now, after this, we will have Shotzi going against Chelsea Green, who has Piper Niven in her corner. Shotzi would win the match by pinfall thanks to Chelsea Green's own overconfidence. Once Chelsea would hit Shotzi with a dropkick from the top rope and start showboating and go over to pin Shotzi in a lazy fashion, Shotzi would take the advantage of this and roll Chelsea up to win the match. So Shotzi would win yet again by Chelsea's own overconfidence. Now next up, we have John Cena coming down to the ring. John Cena's out here because he has a match with Solo Sokoa at Crown Jewel, and John Cena would feel the crowd cheering for him. John would then go into uh, politician pastor mode and say that tonight is a serious moment, just as serious as 20 years ago when WWE wanted to fire him. John would talk about turning it all around for the last 20 years, giving everyone everything that he had, and in return, the audience gave him the same, everything that they had, whether they cheered him, booed him, the usual stuff that John would say. John would talk about the seriousness of his match with Solo, 
uh, at Crown Jewel. John will talk about how he needs to win because if he doesn't win, he is afraid that this, the WWE, what he loves to do, will be taken away from him. Paul Heyman will come down to the ring. Paul would sound sincere. He would sound respectful. He even would extend his hand out to John to shake it, and John would. Paul would say he's not out here for allegiances. He's not out here to represent anyone. He's just out here to speak and stand for the truth. Paul would give John Cena some compliments and give him his flowers, thanking John for 20 years for being the man, for being the man that packed the arenas. And Paul would mention to John how John Cena was Paul Heyman's number one guy to draft from OVW when Paul Heyman basically took the book in 2002 on SmackDown. So you have this. He calls John Cena the greatest of all time on the microphone uh, and how John is so much of a role model that Paul Heyman had his kids look up to John more than he would have his kids look up to him. So with Paul giving him all this praise, now we get turned into business with Paul saying that John stuck his nose in the bloodline business and now this has to be all taken away from him and this all comes from the highest orders from Roman Reigns. And that Solo has to take out John Cena and take out John's most powerful weapon, John's voice. So this would have uh, Solo Sokoa coming down to the ring as Paul's talking and attack John Cena. He would drop him with a spinning solo, then a Samoan spike, and this will lay John out. So this is to get people more interested in John Cena's match with Sozakoa at Crown Jewel. And I want to say this right now. John knows good and well that WWE is going to constantly have him whether he wins or loses at Crown Jewel. I understand the fact of wanting to build the matchup to a, sta- to a standpoint that you want the fans to watch. I get it completely. But don't say that you are in jeopardy of feeling that this is going to be taken away from you. Because you know it's not. WWE is going to constantly have you. You're their guy. You are the guy. You're on WWE's Mount Rushmore. You, uh, Hogan, Austin, and probably even Taker or Andre. You can interchange those two guys. But it will be you up there with the rest of them. That's always going to be the case. So you know, well, good and well, whether you win against Solo or lose against Solo, your spot on coming back to WWE is always going to be safe. Now, next up, we had Dragon League going against Cedric Alexander. Dragon Lee would win the match by pinfall by hitting Destino onto Cedric Alexander. Great match between the two guys. Haven't seen Cedric in some time. They gave Dragon and Cedric some uh, time on the show to showcase what they can do. It was great. I like that Dragon Lee's uh, using Destino because, again, it gives credence and uh, credibility to his past, uh, representing his brother Roosh, who uh, was in LFI with... Uh, to see a Naito who Dragon Lee's using Naito's finisher, the Destino. I like all those connections that Dragon Lee is able to pull off just in that one move by doing it. So I like that he's doing that. So I hope they continue to allow Dragon Lee to continue to use Destino. They didn't come up with a name with it, so I'm all, I wonder what they're going to use as a name for that move, to be honest. Now, next up, we have Bianca Belair. Bianca Belair will come down to the ring. She's out here to talk about why she returned last week to help Charlotte against Damage Control. And it's because two months ago, Damage Control smashed Bianca Belair's leg with a chair backstage. And this would take Bianca Belair out 
Bianca Belair would mention how she was at home at this time uh, with her thoughts, and she couldn't shake the thought of damage control. So this would leave with Bianca having vengeance on her mind, and she came up with a plan. Bianca mentions that she talked to Nick Aldous, and the plan starts next week, where she would take on the mastermind of damage control, Bailey, and with taking out Bailey, Bianca has a match against EO at Crown Jewel to go against for the WWE Women's Championship. So Bianca plans on trying to win back her championship from EO and doing some damage to damage control. So we have Bianca's statement here. It was good for that. We all kind I kind of figured that Bianca was going to uh go against EO at Crown Jewel. It kind of just made sense for what happened last week. So I'm glad we get that. Now we go to the main event. Jimmy Uso versus LA Knight. Uh, LA would win the match by pinfall by hitting the BFT, blood force trauma on Jimmy. Solid match between the two. Jimmy put up a hard-fought effort to try to beat down and weaken LA Knight, but it just didn't work. Knight would win the match. Now, after the match, Roman Reigns, he would try to pull off the same sneak attack that he did weeks ago by uh, running into the ring and spearing LA Knight, but LA Knight would be hip to it. He would see Roman. He would move out of the way. Roman would hit the second turnbuckle. Uh, LA Knight would grab Roman and then hit him with the BFT and lay Roman Reigns out. And that's how SmackDown went in, with LA Knight learning from his past and uh, standing on top of the WWE Undisputed Universal Heavyweight Champion, Roman Reigns. So I like that we had this. It shows that LA Knight is smart and he learned and that he is way under the skin of Roman Reigns than Roman ever likes to admit so I'm glad we're getting that from Roman, and I'm glad we're seeing this between LA Knight and Roman Reigns. So I'm glad, and they still got one more SmackDown until Crown Jewel next week. I can't wait to see what they do on SmackDown, but with that being said, that's your SmackDown Wrestling Highlights of the Week. And now we move over into AEW Rampage, where the first match will be Mike Santana going against Ortiz. Santana would win the match by pinfall by hitting a torture rack, turning it into a power bomb for the win. Santana and Ortiz, they had a real hard-hitting match with each other. Uh, they let the rules go by the wayside with this, knowing how personal this issue is between Santana and Ortiz. You got to see them both use uh, weapons, kindle sticks, uh, steel chairs, trash cans. I mean, they just used it against one another. Again, from a team that was... Highly touted as being the tag team that everybody wanted to see win tag team gold when they first came into AEW, literally before it even got TV and when it even got TV, they were still the team that people wanted them to win tag team gold and it never happened to see them have the fallout and it all come unraveled. We see those two actually have a match here and it actually delivered. It was great to see after the match, uh, Santana, he would try to walk over to Ortiz Talk to him a little bit. Ortiz is still uh, sitting down on the bottom turnbuckle. And Santana would, like, stick his fist out for Ortiz to pound it. Ortiz would just, like, flick his hand over to Santana to tell him to get out of here. And, again, Santana, being the man, he would stick his hand out and his arm out once again for Ortiz to still, like, pound it. Knowing how hard-headed his former best friend, former tag team partner is, he still just extends the, well, fist out. And again, Ortiz, he would just flick Santana's uh, fist away. 
and Santana would just nod his head like, okay, okay. And he just uh, points at his head and then points right back at Ortiz and Excalibur was basically said that motion was, I'll keep that in mind. So this might be the end between Santana and Ortiz. It might not. I hope they reunite because, again, they were one of the tag teams that everybody wanted them to win tag team goal when AEW first started. They were highly touted. They just came from Impact Wrestling where they were having great matches with the Lucha Brothers. So now, when they got to AEW, they were in a highly uh, rivalry with the Young Bucks to everything that happened to transpire there. FTR comes around. Santana Ortiz and FTR, we wanted to see that because those two were going at it. Then fast forward, things just didn't play out the way that they were supposed to play out, at least from a fan perspective. And we never got to see Santana and Ortiz uh, win tag team gold. Hopefully, with them going their separate ways, we'll see them win gold separately. If not, please reunite them and put them back as a tag team. That's all I ask as a fan of Santana and Ortiz. Now, after the match, you will see Sanjay Dutt run down to the ring and try to toss up Ortiz. Ortiz would try to move himself away from uh, Sanjay, but Sanjay would follow him, whisper something in Ortiz's ear. Ortiz would kind of be amused by that thought process, but he'd still be cautious. So nobody knows what the deal is between uh, Sanjay. Is he trying to recruit Ortiz, what the deal is? But only thing we do know is we had a great match between uh, Santana and Ortiz to start off Rampage. Now the next thing up would be Kip Sabian and Penelope Ford coming to the ring. Kip Sabian's out here just basically mocking the Philadelphia sports uh, team's this would lead to Mark Briscoe coming out. Mark Briscoe would make his debut back from being injured. He beats up on uh, Kip Sabian, close line him out of the ring. There you go. So Mark Briscoe is back in AEW. Great to see Mark here. Now next up, we have a fatal four-way match. Winner faces Hukaro Shida on collision for the AEW Women's Championship. We have Abaddon, Anna Jay, Sky Blue, and Willow Nightingale in the match. Abaddon would win the match by pinfall by hitting a Rose Plant on Anna J to win the match. So Abaddon will be facing off against Sheeta on collision. This is the first time I've seen Abaddon in a minute. And I believe this is the first time a lot of people have seen Abaddon in a minute. So it was great to see Abaddon. Hopefully she has a great showing with uh, Sheeta on collision. I will be watching collision for that. Now, we go over to our main event. We'll have Kyle Fletcher going against Kanosuke Takeshita. Uh... Takeshita would win the match by pinfall by hitting a knee strike on Kyle Fletcher to win the match. Great match between the two men. Again, these are two of the guys that AEW should be putting their uh, eggs in their baskets because they are some of the guys that will be leading the future of wrestling. Not just alone. Kyle Fletcher and Mark Davis as a tag team with Ozzy Open, but with Mark uh, Davis kind, kind of being out. Kyle Fletcher has to wrestle singles matches, and you get to see a lot of singles matches from Kyle Fletcher. Uh, him going against Brian Danielson, him going against Kenny Omega, now him going against Kanosuke Takeshita. Him and Takeshita, they had a great match between each other. Uh, again, Kyle Fletcher's stock has risen from this, even with uh, Kanosuke Takeshita winning it. Kyle Fletcher still ends up winning. Now, after the match, you would see Don Callis and Will Hobbs come down to the ring, they shake the hands of Takeshita, they raise his hands up in uh, victory. Kyle Fletcher, he would come in the ring and hit Takeshita in the back with a steel chair. He would hit Will Hobbs in the back with a steel chair. And then you would see 
Will Hobbs about to get at Fletcher, but Don Callis had to separate Hobbs from Fletcher. He would hold Fletcher over into a corner and try to calm him down. Hobbs still trying to get at Fletcher. Don Callis tries to tell Hobbs, relax, I got this. So you see Don talk to Fletcher, and it seems that he gives him his approval. And it seems that Fletcher might be joining uh, the Don Callis family. Because you see on Fletcher's face, he's even kind of confused. You're not having your guys attacking me. I just attacked one of your guys with a steel chair in the back. You would think you would want your people to start beating me up. No. Don Callis, he just puts his hands around Kyle's neck and just smiles at him. And it seems that Kyle Fletcher's part of the Don Callis family. Again, I thought it would be extremely... uh, I thought it would be a real interesting proposition or interesting... Uh, situation we have Will Ospreay in because again Will Ospreay is still a part of the United Empire that's still his group over there in New Japan uh, Kyle Fletcher he still has the United Empire logo on his banner when he walks out for his matches on AEW television so they acknowledge Kyle Fletcher with the United Empire but Will Ospreay still being with the Don Callis family and as much times as Kyle Fletcher has tried to win his matches for the Don Callis family and always come up short and Don Callis constantly um Blaming Fletcher for the failings of the matches, it always just seemed interesting to know uh, where Will Ospreay's loyalty was going to be. Was it going to be with the Don Cows family or was it going to be with his own United Empire brethren? But now with Kyle Fletcher seemingly looking like he's with the Don Cows family, he's still up in the air. Um, We'll have to wait and see what happens. Will he be in it? Will he not be in it? What will Ospreay say? What will Ospreay think? Again, this is all the stuff they could play into when they do it again, but that's how uh, AEW Rampage will end. So, with that, that's your AEW Rampage Wrestling Highlights of the Week. And I don't think there's nothing enough for me to talk about. Um, go and watch AEW Collision tonight if you're listening to this episode on a Saturday. I'll be watching Collision because on Rampage, it did do one hell of a video promo for the Kenny Omega MGF match for Collision for the AEW World Championship. Uh, they talked about the highlights of MGF, highlights of Kenny Omega, talked about the importance of both men. And towards the end of that video package, you saw Jay White walk up on Kenny Omega. And Jay White's not really, he doesn't really care who really wins this match, but he tells Kenny that, hey, if you end up winning, hey, you'll get to see me and you at full gear. And so we're going to have a true elite champion. So again, and he also does pick fun at, uh, their win-loss record between the two because Jay White has a win over Kenny Omega. So, again, if Kenny Omega wins, we get that. And then over on the MGF side, you will see Don Callis try to go to MGF and try to uh, give out his help to MGF. MGF would play to it a little bit just to only be in a complete jackrabbit to Don and say, nope, too late, bud. I'm already the world champion. I'm already accomplished everything. I don't need your help. And he tells Don to check out that scar on his forehead because it looks like he has a vagina on his forehead. So again, MGF still playing the MGF character of being a complete douche to Don Callis, who was only offering his help. So again, we could have Don Callis probably cost Kenny or even cost MGF the win at Collision. You got a lot of different factors here in this match for the World Championship between Kenny Omega and MGF, because again, Kenny is fighting for his longest reigning streak as AEW World Champion, and MGF is fighting for the AEW World Championship to still be 
known as the champion. So again, Collision is going to be a good show. If you don't want to tune in anything else, tune into Collision to watch that uh, world title match between Kenny Omega and MGF, and you get it on free TV, not on pay per view, free TV. So go and check it out. Now, with that out of the way, uh, I will be back tomorrow with my Sunday episode. I'll be talking about things that went down in the news as usual. If you didn't check out my Wednesday episode, it's a midweek breakdown. I have that available for you right now. Now, with that being said, this has been your Wrestling Highlights of the Week presented by my two cents podcast, hosted by D2. He's I, I, him. I love you all. I thank you. Have a great day.